Good morning once again. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. And if you all need a Bible, we'll get one right to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. And actually, we'll start the last part of verse 7 as we read through this section of Scripture. Paul writes at the end of verse 7, Exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach that no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The title of my message this morning is, What Shape Are You In? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity to be in your word, knowing, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts. And so we're praying for open ears to receive all that you have for us today, Lord. We thank you for the sweet time of worship, Lord, and we just want to continue to worship you through the study of your word. And so bless our time together. Lord, we also pray, if there's anyone that has joined us, that's yet to come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. We pray, Lord, you'd especially touch their heart today through this time together and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exercise. I don't know who likes to do it. It's been said one way to get exercise in your house is to put your TV at one end of the house and your refrigerator at the other end. Neil Armstrong said, I believe God has given every human a finite number of heartbeats. I don't intend to waste any of mine running around doing exercises. Another man said, I was going to wake up early to go jogging, but my toes voted against me 10 to 1. Now this one. My best exercise is something between a lunge and a crunch. It's called... Lunch. (laughs) Finally, someone said, exercise. I thought you said extra fries. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do it. Some, some people are a little twisted and they actually like exercise. In fact, if they have an exercise, they go through slight withdrawals. Oh, it's been two hours. I got to get back to the gym. Not me, okay? I know it's good for me. But when it comes to exercise, I have to be pushed. I need Lisa to say, Tom, we need to go to the gym today. Yeah, I know, I know. And so I do. And I'm glad that I do it. When I'm done, I'm glad. But I don't like it. I bring that up this morning because in our previous study, we learned that there's a big difference between physical exercise and spiritual exercise. Physical training, Paul says, it's good. It's good for a season. It's good for a temporary time. As long as we're using these bodies as vehicles for God to work, we need to keep them in good running condition. 
Bodily exercise is good, Paul says. It helps you keep in shape. But spiritual exercise, man, that's much better. It's better to build spiritual muscle instead of physical muscle. That's what we hear from the heart of Paul when he says at the end of verse 7 and in verse 8, exercise yourself towards godliness for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, I know we looked at this briefly last time, but I want to continue on in this illustration this morning because I believe God has given us this particular comparison to help us understand the importance of working out spiritually. And if you're taking notes, we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at, number one, the examination, number two, the evaluation, and number three, the exhortation. Number one, examination. If you're going to start working out, if you've never worked out before, for some it would be a good idea, maybe go see your doctor first, okay? See what your body can withstand. You don't want to start running if you're having heart problems and you're, you're overweight. You need to see what your body can handle and what it can't first. Well, the same thing can be true for your spiritual body. What shape are you in right now? David prayed in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts, Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. Lord, I, I need that examination. You know, we're going to spend time in communion this morning as we close our study. And, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we need to pray, Lord, examine me, my life. See if there's anything that is hindering my walk with you. See if there's anything that's getting in, in the way of me growing spiritually. Point that out to me so in turn I can turn from it. Show me the shape I'm in now. See, in our last study, we did something kind of funny. I thought it was funny. We, we imagined for a moment what we would look like if our spiritual walk matched our physical appearance right now. If all of a sudden, where you're at spiritually, your body was reflecting that, what would we look like? Some would be sitting in seats, you know, right now looking a little bit overweight, their spirit is now their body because they love the teaching of God's word, man. And then they love it. Oh, man, I've got to take it in. i got to take it in. Oh, yeah, this is good. That's good. This is good. Eating that spiritual food. But then they haven't given anything out. They haven't put anything out. Others may be perhaps on the verge of starvation because they come one bite at a time. I'll come every other Sunday, you know, get a little bit of the word. Or maybe it's the first time in church and you're hearing the word of God spoken. But man, oh, you got a Bible handed. Oh, man, this is great. Oh, man, and you're hungry. You want more. And you eat it up because you've never been around the Word like that. But then, as I shared last week, there's those that are ripped spiritually. Man, they got the six-pack, you know. You know these guys, you know. You know they come in, and, but they're serving, and they're praying, and they're doing, and they're studying, and they're the spiritual giants in the church. So let me ask you, what would your spirit look like? What shape are you in? Are you overweight, malnourished? Are you physically fit spiritually? We need to say, Lord, examine me. Now, you might be sitting here with this great physique spiritually. You're well built, you're studying, you're, you're, you're serving, but God at this point may want to stretch your, your spiritual muscles even a little bit further. Now, maybe take you to a place where, where you've never been before. You know, sometimes when you do workout routines and you're lifting and you're doing certain exercises, your body gets used to those. And they say if you really want to gain some extra muscle and, and, and you need to do some different exercises, maybe God is leading you this morning to do something different, lead in, in a different way. John Maxwell has always says, if we're growing, we're always going to be out of our comfort zone. Maybe the Lord may want to aspire you into leadership or to step out in a different ministry that you've never done before. Maybe lead others. 
We want you to be not just another face in the crowd, but to actually grow in your walk with the Lord so much so that someone else can look at your life and say, whoa, I want my life to look like that. I mean, we do that in the physical realm, do we not? I mean, you go to the gym, for those of you that do, and, and, and you're, you're exercising, you're listening to your little five or ten pound weight, and, and, and then you look over and there's this guy, and he's got, you know, about 300 pounds, and the muscles are bulging out, and you go, man, I need to be like that. I mean, that's what I need to be, and, and uh, uh, man, I want to look like that. Let me, let me say this. Those muscles didn't magically appear. It took work, hard work. But that's why Paul is saying, exercise towards godliness. See, I wish that, especially in the physical sense, that all we would have to do is turn on TV and watch, you know, some TV workout program, and just by watching it, I could get in shape. You know, that's it. Wouldn't that be great? You get these huge muscles just by, by just watching these guys on TV. But, but you see, in the physical realm, it really doesn't matter how much time you spend in the gym if all you're doing is sitting around and watching everyone else do the exercises. I mean, that would be great. I mean, if you could bring your lunch to the gym and eat your hamburgers and your pizza and your french fries and, and ice cream and you're watching them and you get all the muscles. I would love that. But we look at that and go, man, that's ludicrous. I mean, that, that, that's silly. But then why do we think that the same thing can happen in church, in the spiritual realm? Don't get me wrong. Coming to church plays a crucial part in learning how to grow in your relationship with the Lord. And you need to be in church. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't, shouldn't you know, we, we need to, to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. But, you know, but you can't really call church service building spiritual muscles. If anything, maybe it's just maybe one little two ways. You know, it's the, it's the light ways. But, uh, but, but here's the thing. I don't really see any place in Scripture where Jesus commends people just for going to church. I mean, we see him commending them for loving one another. We see him commending them for serving one another, uh, for giving to the poor, for all sorts of things. But there's nowhere in Scripture that we read, blessed are the churchgoers, for they shall receive blessings. Now, we are blessed. I mean, don't get me wrong. You come to church, we are blessed. But but then sometimes, they, you know, I think that we, uh, we really had a really hard workout because I, I attended church on Sunday. Man, I came to church. I really worked out really. See, what Paul is doing here, if I could take this analogy one step further, Paul has become Timothy's personal weight trainer. And he's going to evaluate where Timothy's at in order to let him know what he needs to work on. And this brings us to point number two, evaluation. See, like a good personal trainer, uh, Paul is, is going to tell Timothy what disciplines, what exercises he needs to focus on each and every day of the week if he wants to gain that spiritual muscle. Like a gym, the trainer would say, okay, I want you, based on your, based on your, your, your weight, your height, your health, I want you to use the, the leg press, you know, this day of the week. I want you to work on your arms this day of the week, do the, the treadmill, and then the elliptical. And then you're, you're going to be in shape. I never quite understood why they call that machine the elliptical. I, you know, the, 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 you know the, the definition of elliptical is an oval or egg-shaped device. Do you want to be oval or egg-shaped? I'm thinking, why that? But, but anyway, Paul is saying this. It's based on where you're at spiritually, Timothy, this is what you need to be doing. But it begins by saying, I want to warn you, it's not going to be easy. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Do you want that spiritual muscle? It's going to take work. Labor. And in the process, you may suffer reproach. 2 Timothy 3.12, we read that, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
And here Paul says we're going to be reproached because, why? We trust in the living God. Now here's where, where we need to ask ourselves, do we really trust in the living God? Do you really trust Him? I mean, if you were put on trial for being a Christian this morning, would your neighbors testify against you? Or would there be a hung jury? Or would there be a reasonable doubt about your faith? Or maybe a total acquittal altogether? It's a probing question because if you're never reproached, if you're never really persecuted for your faith, maybe it's because there's no evidence in your life that you really trust in the living God. Now I want to, before we move on, I, I want to make sure we catch this point here. Look at the end of verse 10. Paul says that God is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now, to our Calvinistic friends, I I, I want to say, I don't believe in what some call limited atonement. That is, Jesus only died for the elect. I do believe, as the scripture says, Jesus died for the whole world, but only those that, by appropriation of their faith, what Jesus did on the cross, will be saved. I think the Calvinist gets confused when they get the idea that if you say Jesus died for the whole world, it must mean that, well, the whole world's going to be saved. That's not what it says, not according to this verse and others. They're only saved if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They put their faith in Him, repent of their sins. That's how they are saved. So yes, Jesus died for the whole world, but only those who believe in Him are going to be saved. Now, then as we come to verse 11, we have the evaluations. That is the the workout routine designed especially for Timothy, for you and for me. But I want you to notice that Paul the trainer doesn't just have some simple suggestions. He doesn't say, these are a good, good idea for you to do. No, these are, he says, commands. Look at verse 11. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, Paul may be feeling a little bit intimidated, especially as he sees these other guys in the church who are in really good shape spiritually, mature believers in the Lord. You know how that is when you go to a gym and you see these guys all worked out. You go, man, I'm going to just go work out over here around the corner, you know. Timothy was young. Young at that age, you know, young at that time would probably be somewhere around 30 years old for Timothy. So Paul says that no one despise your youth or be an example. I would imagine it would be, you know, a challenge for a pastor to be, be young in age. You know, if you're, you're ministering, you're teaching people that are way older than you, you know, that's never happened to me. I started pastoring when I was 41, when I got started, but my pastor, Pastor Greg Glory, he was 19 years old when he started pastoring the church out in California. Here Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Why does he say that? Well, probably there was those in there despising his youth. Probably there are those in the church saying, you young whippersnapper, you know, what, what can you teach me? You're just a punk kid, you know. Paul says to me, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what people think about you. You just be an example. Isn't that, shouldn't that be for all of us? Don't worry about what people think about you. You just be an example of what Christ has done in your life. You know, there's, there's a big difference between someone with a lot of energy and zeal and enthusiasm and someone who's immature. Immaturity and youth can be two very different things. I know older people that are very, very immature and younger guys who are very, very mature in their walks with the Lord. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is, is listen, you need to focus your attention, is, is, is don't let your age bother you. In other words, God has given you a gift, he wants you to use it, and regardless of wherever else is at in the Lord. 
In fact, Paul says, if you focus your attention on doing things the right way, you'll become even more of an example to these other believers that are there. Notice that word, uh, for example, in verse 11. It means die or cast or mold. That's what the word is implying. Paul is trying to teach Timothy that, that instead of finding himself the, the brunt of every joke because he's so young, you just do those things, stay stable, stay, stay you know, in that, that mold of doing the things that are right, and you're going to be that, that example to, to, to one who loves the Lord. And then Paul gives to Timothy, for the sake of our illustration, six workout stations at the end of verse 12 to do to stay in shape. Look at verse 12 again. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now we're going to look at those six things, uh, each one, and we'll treat them like workout stations. Number one, be an example to the believers with your words. It's just your words. The things that you say when people are listening in on your conversations. The things that you say when you're at work. The things that you say around your family. Work on your words, he says. Are there people around you hearing an example of what a Christian should sound like? J. Vernon McGee used to say, the only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions and running down others. Of course, there's a lot of truth to that statement. Paul says that shouldn't be the case. In fact, he tells us in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Listen, as soon as service is over, we have the opportunity to minister one to another. We have the, the opportunity to, to, to encourage one another, to use words that edify and build up. This is the responsibility of all of us here, and it should happen as soon as service is over. It might be something just as a simple comment to someone that, as they walk out this morning, as you turn in and you say, hey, I, mean, I, I saw you here last week, or you knew here, my name is so-and-so. And you show a little bit of interest like that. See, as believers, we need to understand that when we are here in this church building, God's Spirit is moving and working in us and he chooses to use us as he pleases to share with people, to help encourage people, to make a difference in other people's lives. I mean, one word, one phrase can make all the difference in that person's life. To say, hey, hey, how you doing? How can I pray for you? Really? You want to pray for me? Yeah, I'd like to pray for you. What's going on? Oh, man, you wouldn't believe it. I'm going through this and this and this and this. Man, well, let's pray together. And they're blown away. Why? Because you've taken the time to say, hey, let's pray together. That's how we can encourage one another with our words. So that if we never open up our mouths and let people know, hey, I'm struggling over here, or, or hey, how can I pray for you, then what happens is people get lost in the cracks and they don't get ministered to, nor, do they, nor can you minister to them. And they feel like they're all alone instead of sensing and experiencing the love of Jesus Christ in their lives. So you become an example of them in words. See, by the power of God's Spirit, He can use you today with the words that you say to build someone up, to edify to look for that opportunity. This brings us to our second workout station, our conduct. Paul says, be an example to the believers in word and in conduct, which literally means uh, manner of living, the way that you live. In other words, what you've communicated with our mouths, what we've, you know, and, and we've gained someone's attention in a spiritual way, we need to make sure that we don't stumble them with the way in which we actually live, our conduct. In other words, our, our walk has to match our talk. That's what, what, what Paul is saying. Watch your speech. Work on that muscle. But also, watch your life. Make sure that muscle is spiritually fit. Because when it comes to our Christian conduct, we need to be aware that people are, yes, they're listening to what you say, but they're also watching what you're doing. 
Let me put it another way. What if the spiritual walk of everyone in our fellowship was exactly like yours? What if everyone gave to the degree that you give every week? What if everyone prayed to the same degree that you pray every single day? What if everyone in the Christian community witnessed as much as you do? Where would we be? Paul is saying, listen, Tim, once you realize the importance of having your speech be seasoned with grace, then understand people are going to be watching your life to see if your words, your walk matches your words. And they'll know if you're saying one thing, but if you're living contrary to the things that you say. It's important. There needs to be that evidence. It's the evidence of what you say that you really believe what you say by the way that you conduct yourself. Otherwise, people, they're not going to listen to you. It's been said, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this brings us to our third workout station and our workout routine, that, that of number three, love. Again, Paul the trainer says, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, and in love. Romans 12.9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Interesting that the word for hypocrisy, the word for sincere, there actually translates as no wax. No wax. It actually does. It translates that way. Let love be without wax. Now, why would it would say that? Well, back in Greek times, when, when uh, there were those who would carve sculptures out of stone, and they were perhaps carving you know, a face, they would be all finished except for the nose, and suddenly he accidentally waxed the nose off. You know, and they go, oh man, what am I going to do? He's almost done. He's got great eyes, great ears, great job, but no nose. So what are you going to do? Well, you need a nose job. So they would take, you know, some wax, they would mix it with crushed stone, and they would turn, you know, put some putty on it, and they'd put that on the face and sculpt it in the, in the shape of a nose, and, and so that you had it, so it looked normal. Now, when you take your sculpture to the market, someone would ask them, hey, your sculpture, is it sincere? Is it, is it, uh, uh, there's no wax, is it the real thing? And the idea there is if there was no wax, and they could take it home, they could set it out in the backyard at noon when the sun is shining down on it, and the nose isn't going to run. Nose isn't going to drip. Not going to disappear. Now, the people who weren't sincere would use the wax and then the sculpture would have to stay inside. Here's my point. I know that we, you know, every Sunday give you an opportunity to be insincere for about a minute. About a minute. First service, perhaps, they go a little bit longer than you guys. Second service, they go about two minutes. But every Sunday we'll say, hey, why don't you take some time to turn around and say hello to one another? And so you got that. I mean, you got, you know, that, that minute or so. I mean, how much can you really find out what's going on in a person's life in that 15 or 20 seconds? I mean, you're not really going to build very strong relationships in those few seconds. But again, as I said already, I mean, what if after service, instead of running out the back door, you take the time to walk up to someone and say, hey, I mean, how are you doing? Uh, I mean, and then we say, do you really mean that? Yeah, how are you doing? You know, even for me, from time to time, I, I go back, you know, after service, and I'll be back when the study's over, and I just get a chance to say hi, you know, God bless you, you know, and, and just a chance to shake your hand and stuff like that. But I really can't get into long conversations with you because, you know, people are behind you, and they've got to get out the door, and that type of thing. But I love to be able to look back into the congregation and see people sitting and praying and talking and sharing with one another. I love that. See, that's what it means to have that sincere love one for another. To be that example in word and conduct and love. Now, we're going to go through the next uh, three a little bit quicker. He says, look, uh, it says, be an example in spirit and faith and in purity. In spirit is a reference to enthusiasm or, or zeal. 
you should be enthusiastic you know, and zealous in your relationship with the Lord. There's nothing worse than a doom and gloom Christian, you know, walking around, oh, yeah, I love the Lord, but man, do you see this world and do you see that? Oh, man, this is, oh, this is horrible over here. And this is over here. Listen, you're saved. This world's not your home. We've got heaven to look forward to. Live as though you actually believe that. So in spirit, in faith, which is obedience, it means to be faithful to what God has shown you to do. Be faithful. And then finally he says, in purity. In purity. This is a reference to pure motives, believing the best in people. So these were the areas that Timothy was to be an example to the other believers in, but also for us to be an example for others as well. Specific areas we can take and we can pray about. Lord, help me with my speech. Lord, everything I say, Lord, let it be good and helpful so that my words may be an encouragement to those who hear them. Lord, please help me with the way that I conduct myself. Lord, fill me with your love and, 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 and help me to be sincere. Help me to be enthusiastic. Lord, help me to be that faithful person. Help me to have those pure motives. Not, uh, Lord, help me not to look at other people with wrong motives, Lord. And, and, and as you change in those areas, God is going to use you to help change others. Because as a result of you and I being diligent and disciplined and working out and developing these spiritual muscles, soon you'll become a trainer yourself, helping others to develop their spiritual muscles in the same way that you did. See, that's what Paul is telling Timothy in his remaining verses here. And this brings us to our final point, number three, exhortation. Look at verse 13. It says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Three things right there should be the, the foundation for every pastor and every church across America, in the world, really. The Bible should be read publicly to and in the congregation. The Bible should be explained. Doctrine needs to be taught. The Bible should be applied. That's exhortation. Read the Bible. Explain the Bible. Apply the Bible. Those are the main responsibilities of a pastor and teacher. Read the Bible. Explain the Bible. Apply the Bible to people's lives. Sadly, we have a whole lot of talking going on from pulpits in America. And I'm not saying bad talking, but not a whole lot of God's Word being read. Not a whole lot of God's Word being applied and, 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 and explained. And sadly, a lot of folks are coming out of churches pumped up, but not built up spiritually, perhaps excited, entertained, but no substance, no foundation in God's Word. And sadly, people are floundering because it's a lack of God's Word in their lives. Paul here is as plain as plain can be. Here's what you need to do as a pastor, Timothy. Get up, open your Bible, read it, explain it, apply it, which is exhortation. Another word, exhortation, means to come alongside, to encourage that's what a weight trainer does. Man, you can do it. Man, one more time. Man, I got you. I'm spotting you. Man, you can do this. You encourage them. That's what you need to do. Come on, you can do it. And spiritually speaking, it's taking the Word, putting it alongside people's lives, and encouraging them to do the Word. That's, that's not just me as a pastor. We all need to be doing that. See, when you come to church, I believe you need to hear the Bible. Now, there are times that I'll take maybe one or two verses and do a topical study. There's nothing wrong with that from time to time as the Lord leads. You know, uh, uh, but to me, the best way to do what God has called me to do is to take a chapter or a paragraph at a time, depending how long the chapter is, and go through the book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, sometimes even word by word. You know, we do that. Because in so doing, you get the whole context and you hear the whole counsel of God's word. Now, Wednesday nights, you know, we kind of go a little bit faster, maybe two or three chapters uh, at a time. In our men's study, we go 
a whole lot slower. <laughs> we may get through a couple of verses depending how much. Yeah, you think ladies like to talk? I mean, guys are pretty good at it too. And so, but it's a great time because we're digging in God's Word. So when you come to church, you know what to expect. You know that, that you're going to hear the Word of God. You're going, to, you're going to hear it read. It's going to be explained. And that's doctrine. And this teaching. And then the Word is going to be applied. That's the word for exhortation. Well, then Paul says to Timothy, look at verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is probably pastor teacher. It was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, I don't believe that Paul is saying here that the elders laid hands on Timothy and gave him that specific gift. I believe that there was a word spoken in prophecy, a revealing of God's word and will for Timothy, and the eldership recognized the gift that Timothy already had and thus laid their hands on him and prayed for him and sent him on his way. See, I can't give you a spiritual gift. The elders of this church can't give you a spiritual gift. You can't come up to me and say, Pastor Tom, could you give, and the elders lay their hands on me and give me the gift of, of teaching. No, no, I can't do that. You can't have, have some spiritual leader touch you and give you some gift. God gives the gifts. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. He says, the Holy Spirit who just distributes gifts to each one individually as he wills, as he sees fit. He's the one who distributes the gifts, the spiritual gifts. Now, one of the indications that you have a specific spiritual gift is that others will see it and others will recognize that in your life. They will see it in your example once again. Because if you're claiming to have some spiritual gift and you're the only one that recognizes it, I kind of doubt that you have that gift. You know, you think you have a gift but nobody else can see it, then I, I doubt that you have that spiritual gift. Well, the Lord has called me to sing. I have the gift of singing. And every time you sing, you know, people put their fingers in their ears or, or they ask you to sing tenor, 10 or 12 miles away, you know. That's a pretty good indication that you don't have that gift. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but, but maybe God hasn't called you to sing. Now, He's called us to make a joyful noise, and that's a good thing. I mean, that's not a bad thing. You know, we can all do that, you know. And then maybe that's a joyful noise they're making, but, but I wouldn't call it singing. When it comes to leading worship, you know, God has, the, the gifts has got to be there. There has to be a gifting of God. So whatever your giftings are, abilities, God will use you in such a way that others will see it and, and recognize it in you. And so Paul is saying, don't neglect the gift. Don't keep it hidden. God has given you that gift to be used in other people's lives. And, then, and if it's been acknowledged by other people, then, 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 then use it. That's what he's saying. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. In other words, stir it up. Get busy using it. Then he says, look at verse 15. Meditate on these things. In other words, give yourself complete attention to these matters. Think about these things that, that, that I've been telling you, Tim. Paul says, I know there's a lot here, but stay focused. He says, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. In other words, if you stay focused in your spiritual workout, you're going to change. And people are going to notice. You know, it's like, it's like in the gym at first, you know, you don't see results right away, do you? Man, I'm working out, man, I'm, I'm miserable today. Oh, man, I worked out, oh, I'm sore today. And sooner or later, men, it starts to be a notice, you know. It'll be like those before and after shows you see on TV. I think they actually try to make the people look in the before picture really, really bad. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like they mess up their hair. They just make them look really bad and no makeup or for late, no makeup. And so when they got the, 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 the do-over, the makeover, it's like, oh, man, look at this person now. 
Listen, if you continue to be an example in word and conduct, conduct and sincere love, an enthusiastic spirit, faith or pure motives, people are going to notice there's a difference. And you're going to have an impact in the lives of those around you. Just live the Christian life the way it's meant to be. And someone is going to look at you and go, man, there's something different about you. Man, I, man, uh, you know, you, they're going to respect a person who's trained themselves physically. Yeah, you know, they're going to, you know, you look at someone in the gym again, you go, man, they worked out hard. I mean, if you see those muscles, they're going to respect you. And they're going to say the same thing for your spirits. Man, man, I, I want to do what you do. So we're going to ask the Lord, Lord, help us understand how my speech can become seasoned. Help me not only to say the things that I say, but, 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 to, but to do them as well and to do them in a way that people know that I'm sincere. If you do that in faith, which is obedience, and if you do that in purity, which means that there's no ungodly motives, what will happen is people are going to go, man, I want what you have. They're going to want what you have. And they're, they're going to want to be a Christian. Listen, we live in a hate-filled world. There's problems nationally and individually and families everywhere. And if we can show people a godly example, they're going to be attracted to that. If we can show them the kind of speech that means something that they are attracted to, to show them the faith which is obedience they're attracted to, in a short time they're going to come up to you and say, man, what do I need to do to be like you? At that point you can say, man, that's not me, it's all Jesus. It's, it's all Him, and, 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 and you need to allow Him to come into your life and change you as He's changed my life and my speech and my conduct and my life. He can do that in you. Finally, Paul closes with two things to take heed. And look at verse 16. He says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself, which is your character. Take heed to the doctrine, which is your creed. The two most important things in ministry is to take care of your character and your creed. Sometimes it's easy to believe the right things, but it's not always easy to behave properly. But listen, Paul says, if you do this, continue in them. For in so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, that's not saving you from hell, okay? You don't get salvation by doing anything. It's only by believing in Jesus Christ. But it has the idea of saving your ministry, saving the effect on your ministry and your reputation. If you take care of your character... Your reputation will take care of itself. Let me say that again. You take care of your character. Your reputation will take care of itself. So take heed yourself to your doctrine. Continue in them. For in so doing, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. May we all be devoted to what God has called each one of us to do. And we, may we be committed to that spiritual exercise, exercising ourselves to godliness. Folks, it's time to hit the gym. I know you don't like it, but we've got to hit the gym. Oh, all right, you know. Listen. Our physical bodies, no matter how hard we work out physically, they're going to continue to deteriorate. But the investments that we make spiritually and spiritual exercise, that'll last for an eternity. We're going to close now and enter into a time of communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up front and, and uh, do some worship for us. But see, communion is a time Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29. Paul says, but let a man examine himself. So let him uh, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, first of all, when we come to the communion table, you, know, you need to make sure, first and foremost, you've given your life to Jesus Christ. As clear as I can make it, communion is for Christians. Communion is for believers in Jesus Christ, those who recognize what Jesus Christ has done for them. In a moment, we're going to pass out the bread, we're going to hold on to it and we're going to take it together as a church. Pray and we'll take it together as a church. Then we're going to do the same with the cup.
Now, if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, I would ask that you would let these elements just pass you by. You know, better still, I would ask that you give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. That you surrender your heart and life to Him. Allow Him to forgive you of your sin. Take away that guilt and that shame and that sin that's been plaguing you your whole life. Let Him forgive you. That's why He went to the cross. That's why we remember communion this morning. Then as you do that, then you can partake with us. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I give my life to you now in Jesus' name. So I surrender you. You pray that prayer. And I assure you that the Lord will answer that prayer. You'll be born again this morning. I mean, do you, do you, do you want to do over in life uh, to start again? Then surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ this morning. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin, and He will. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You want a new beginning? Give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. I want to give you that opportunity as we... Uh, Spend time in communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning to enter communion. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to Jesus Christ, that they would make that decision right now, Lord, as we prepare to receive these elements. That they would say in their heart, Lord, that I, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm sorry for living my life to please me. Lord, I surrender. I give up. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and rising again from the dead. I surrender, Lord. Forgive me. If there's anyone here this morning, you want to pray that prayer, maybe you just prayed that prayer in your heart, would you just raise your hand so I can recognize this? This is just between you and the Lord. Just between you and the Lord. Anybody at all. God loves you so much. For us as believers, Lord, we, we know your word tells us that we're not to receive this as in an unworthy manner, Lord. It, it, I, we're not to, to look at communion, Lord, as a time, oh, we're almost done, we can get out of here. Time to hit the back door, time to think about lunch. Lord, you tell us in your word that we need to discern our Lord's body, discern what he did for us upon the cross. Lord, help us as we do this, Lord, to examine our lives, Lord, in light of the cross. And if we need to ask forgiveness for any sin, Lord, Anything that's been hindering our, our, our walk with you, Lord, we need to do it now, Lord. We don't want anything to hinder our relationship with you. We ask for that forgiveness, Lord. We know your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, this morning as we could begin entering the communion, Lord, that you would forgive us and cleanse us. And, Lord, as we then partake, Lord, we, we just rejoice in what you've done for us, the work of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.